From global design practice Hassle, this is Hassle Talks, a podcast series looking at a changing and complex world and the opportunities for design to create a better place for everyone. It's a series that is unashamedly optimistic about designing for a beautiful, inclusive and resilient future. I'm Jeremy Schluter. I'm an architect and I co-lead the residential sector at Hassle, which means I spend a lot of time thinking about how we live and how we can all live better. And our guest today is Fiona Dunster, Senior Investment Director within the property team at Australian Super. And I acknowledge the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation, their elders past and present as traditional owners of the lands I live, work and play, and pay my respects to the First Nations people across Australia as custodians of these lands. With a housing crisis that's starting to bite, we're taking a closer look at just how the residential sector is responding the role of design in ensuring projects can still succeed despite the new challenges they increasingly face, and some alternatives that will serve communities, economies, and our world in making places people love. In our last episode, we heard from Michael McCormack, co-founder of the Milieu Property Group, about the socially aware, design-savvy market that's emerging, driving positive change in our cities through a new type of residential project with quality, well-being, location, sustainability, and amenity at the top of the brief. For this episode, I wanted to take a closer look at some emerging housing models where residential design and housing affordability meet at scale. When we talk about creating affordable housing, I think many people imagine this to mean what we call council housing, the post-war towers and apartment blocks that, as a model, don't have well-being as a top priority and aren't particularly welcoming or safe. The British and other parts of Europe have an established legacy of public, council and affordable housing, so have, over time, improved these models. In Australia, very little public housing has been built since the post-war era, and so governments are looking to the private sector to step in and partner in making up the shortfall. Programs such as the New South Wales Communities Plus precincts and Victoria's Big Build, to name a few. It is this context that has seen organisations, big investors like superannuation funds, identify the opportunity to get involved, tapping the demographic shifts of demand in the market. Their involvement supports economic and community goals, including sustainability, and generates a return on investment through new affordable housing projects. And my guest today, Fiona, is going to tell us all about it. Part of her role as a property investment director is to reposition the fund, Australia's largest superannuation fund, to become a hands-on, very active investor in the spaces super funds haven't traditionally played in. They're taking on things like planning and construction risk. They're bringing not just money, but the smarts to the table as well. Interestingly, their involvement, taking a longer-term view to investment returns, has also supported an increased awareness of ESG and sustainable development, something that not only the market is looking for more and more since the pandemic, but also just makes good sense from a long-term investment perspective, with climate risks only growing. And so I wanted to ask Fiona about one of their big projects in the UK, Canada Water, as well as the potential Australian super saw in a new affordable housing model targeting Australia's first home buyers, known as Build to Rent to Own, with a group called Assemble. Build to Rent to Own is an idea that creates an alternative pathway to home ownership, enabling people to rent securely for five years in a home they can make their own. They can paint it, hang pictures up and so on, all while saving their deposit with the option to buy their home for a pre-agreed price at the end of the lease period. And the Assemble model, as you'll hear, is proving very successful, with three locations and 450 dwellings so far, 
all underpinned by the belief that every Australian deserves access to an affordable, well-designed home and everyone deserves a community to come home to. You know, there's an awful lot of discussion at the moment in the in the market around build to rent and how it's all about establishing a community and the types of spaces. And that is absolutely fundamental for build to rent to own. From ours and Assemble's perspective, the most critical thing about the Assemble product is ultimately that we want people who come to rent to stay and buy. The stickiness of the tenants is absolutely the key. So for us, it's about sense of community and that is built through things like specific spaces that encourage interaction. So, you know, Assemble's classic uh, offer is that there's, you know, communal laundry. So you can bump into people when you're down there, you know, sorting your washing or putting a load of, of washing on. There's a dog wash and and for some of our, our newest newer ones, in fact, TSK is going to have a dog walk area up on the roof, which is pretty cool. You know, there's, an, there's a thing called the Assemble Room and that's where residents can, can do yoga, they can can work from there if they want to, they can run their book club, they can they it has a kitchen facility so they can they can book it out for a dinner party if they want to hold a dinner party there. So really thoughtful functional spaces and facilities and probably my favorite one is the thing called the tool library. Ah uh, yes. That's not just a space but it's actually fully quick kitted out so it can have an iron or a drill or a so level. You can still make stuff. Yes, you can still make stuff down there. There's a bench, um there's you know there's a whole all range of things that in your everyday life now and then you need but let's be honest in lots of apartments you never have enough room to actually be able to have them all stored there so it gives you this fantastic facility that you can access and and it's all run off off the assemble platform people can just book it you know they can book a space or they can book a, a hammer or book a kettle and and it all works off this platform the platform also uh, organizes you know get togethers informal sort of social interaction so all these things create these layers of engagement and value that we think goes well beyond just the fact that these sites are really well located. Um, the people who buy into Assemble are buying in because they're looking to have a real sense of place and have a real home. They tend to not be transient because if they were, they'd just go and rent something. But they're renting with the objective of ultimately owning. And with that comes a really much richer investment both of their own time into their their neighbours but also into their facilities that they really want to use and where they find value. So for us, we think that's the real differentiator for the build to rent to own because there's fantastic build to rent that's coming online um, but we think they don't have quite the same richness. And another great example is is that the Macaulay Road ground floor area is an operating cafe by day. And it's quite a little jumping spot at the moment. It's doing really well. But at night time, it becomes the residence area. And no, they can't access the bar, but they can certainly <laughs> access all the other areas so that, the you know, they hold a movie night down there. They get together and just have, um, it can be like an additional breakout area, lounge area. We've often got residents down there that are just working late at night, uh, using it as a as an informal workspace. And we're finding Rather than working in their living room. Yeah, or, <laughs> or even in the assemble space, which is actually up, up top on the roof which is really cool. So it's giving giving our people a variety and a diversity of spaces that they can break out into in effect well beyond their home, but they're within their home. And we think that's just hugely important and really valuable. 
and it will be great to see some of the data come back in um, as the residents do start to move in. Well, that's right. And, and for us, the key is to watch that they stay. There's no doubt that the design and the careful sort of consideration around offering a really truly sustainable way to live is key for our target market. The people who want to come and live at Assemble absolutely want to understand how they're going to be able to live there uh, in a way that is going to enable them to reduce their energy usage, to be really actively involved in living in spaces that really prioritise the cost, natural materials, ventilation, low energy, obviously proximity to public transport, uh, green spaces within, all those obviously, again, lend themselves to sustainability. So all the assembled products will have to be uh, within walkable distance of not just public transport, but also external green spaces. And one of the things the assembled model does is it actually offers um, financial coaching to our residents, which is seen as a real benefit because a lot of these people haven't had the benefit before of having someone who can work with them, who looks at their their lifestyle and looks at their costs and actually helps them see a pathway to actually being able to own, which is really important. Can you tell us a bit about why Super was interested in that in that particular model? Yeah, look, we, we did quite a bit of uh, investigation into uh, a number of developers and groups that were looking at trying to address housing. And I guess for us, the Assemble Build to Rent to Own model is really providing an opportunity for a pathway to home ownership that wasn't being achieved or, or really offered by any other group. So um, the Australian Super Board, right at the top of the tree, has a Supporting Australia Economy Initiative, which is a really important initiative of our board. And we really saw Assemble's Build to Rent to Own model as a way to support that initiative. So for us, for us, Build to Rent to Own was a really attractive concept. It gave us reasonable return. It gave us a chance to to enter the BTR um, market locally. So we've already got some multifamily in the States and we've had a bigger portfolio of that previously, but it gave us a chance to, to enter the market here. We were really attracted by the ability to scale the pipeline. So not only have we invested into investments within Assemble, we've also invested in the actual platform. And the last thing really for us was because Assemble was Melbourne-based, it gave us a chance to really get in to understand this market and this type of investment in our local market, which for us was really important as well. Uh, and built to rent to own aren't the only options or ways of approaching housing and achieving some of those great things that you're that you're talking about um, for Aussie Super, for your investors, for your board um, and so on. Can you introduce us to the vision behind uh, Canada Water? Yeah, so Canada Water, just for those who, who don't know, it's actually a 53-acre land regen opportunity in the heart of London. So people might know that we are the majority owner of King's Cross, which we've been um, quietly involved in developing over the last you know 20 or so years. So Canada Water is, is our newest baby. So we invested into Canada Water with British Land earlier in this year as a 50-50 joint venture. And this is a 10-year build-out project for us. So it's got a lot of similar um, fundamentals like like King's Cross in terms of placemaking will be fundamental. It is actually greener. It's already got, um, oh gosh, something like, you know, 
I don't know, 50% or 12, no, 12 acres of it is already parkland established. So it's it's a different type of proposition, but it will be mixed use. So it will have some office, it will have some life sciences, some residential, and there's a whole mix of types of homes. So I think there's over 2,600 homes um, are being built at Canada Water over the period. And something like 30, I think it's 33% of them will be um, social or what they call over their intermediate homes, which is affordable. So a huge housing investment as part of that. But the housing will be different there. And look, it doesn't mean that build to rent to own um, conceptually might not be part of it. I mean, it might be. This is a very new concept, obviously, de um, developed by Australia and conceived by um, Assemble. So, but look, it might it might end up being part of that. But it's certainly over there with Canada Water, it's a combination of more what we would call affordable in the Australian market in that it's really targeting the essential worker type um, segment. But then there is also a social housing element, which is being supported by the community housing um, providers over there as well and the government. So it will be a real blend of housing. There'll also, you know, be townhouses, apartment, trying to meet the needs of uh, more socioeconomic groups uh, that can afford to pay higher prices and be closer to things like certain amenities that, that they might value. So it will be, will be a real mix. So it'll be fantastic. Yeah. One of the statements we've seen about Canada Water is that it will set new standards for what's possible in urban living, working and regeneration. Um, when entire precincts and communities are designed around ESG, uh, the ESG approach, what do you anticipate the outcomes might be? The reality is we want our residents and our, our office workers and our visitors all to come and feel really attached and connected to the environment. So that will come through in a range of things, not just from a whole lot of beautiful parklands and connection to the river, physical connection, but it'll come through in the design of our buildings. So we are looking at, uh, and it's interesting with the UK, it's obviously different climate to here, but you know, how can we look at natural ventilation, using natural ventilation, how can we look at lighting systems and things which are going to support being an, being part of and occupying environments that make you feel good? Being the scale it is, Canada Water has the opportunity to be more than just a few green buildings. It has a chance to actually be a truly green precinct. And I, for us, that's one of the benefits, again, of scale. We can really invest into those broader initiatives, which you wouldn't possibly otherwise be able to justify from just a pure investment perspective. From a design perspective and a buildings perspective, there's no doubt people are thinking more about the value of carefully planning and selecting materials, thinking about glazing, thinking about openings, thinking about things that will ultimately have impacts too on operating costs and just health and wellbeing. And I think that's where we're thinking about it at a more sophisticated level now than we were before the pandemic, for sure. Mm. And I'm certainly hearing more residential developers than ever before actually talking about sustainability. I, f I feel like the residential sector hasn't always um, been the leader that it could be um, within the sustainability and resilience space. And it's refreshing to see that conversation happening more and more within the, the residential market. 
Yeah, I think that's right. But again, of course, we're all being driven by the by the demand of the um, communities that we're working in. So it's it again is is a real a real momentum building now that is is a lot more than just talking about sustainability because they they think it's the right thing to do. There's a really genuine understanding now of the imperative of it, which is great. It's a shame it took a, took a pandemic maybe to give it the nudge it needed, but anyway, we're there. Mm. And it seems to be, um, you mentioned before sticky spaces and the way that you're talking about Canada Water seems to be a similar almost mentality to how the commercial um, development sector has been operating, the, the acknowledgement that to retain tenants, you have to build these things, you have to create these types of places and spaces um, and then by retaining the tenants longer term, then, uh, you know, they have a, a happier, healthier working life. It seems more and more now, rather than simply selling off the plan, the residential um, market is kind of catching up to that approach. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, but I think we've come a long way too, just, you know, in terms of the way we view buildings and we view uh, spaces within which we all do interact and work and play. And I think it would be a pretty poor investment decision these days to uh, look at anything in isolation. So for us, it really is about creating spaces and places that people really do want to invest not just their money into to be a tenant or to live in, but to actually invest their, their heart and soul into and becomes their place. And to your um, term before, you know, the sticky tenants, the sticky residents, uh, the sticky visitors, the people who keep coming back, that's what creates the thing that, that's unique about a place and the thing that makes people want to return and that's where the value is. So for Australian Super, ultimately we're an investor and we have to not just create great places that people want to come to, but we have to create great places that people want to stay at or return to. And so for us, it's not even, you know, a question of should we, it's that we have to. We have to come up with ways of creating sustainable communities, which are sustainable in every way. And for us, sustainability means being accessible physically, financially, to all walks of life and all manner of people. And that means that you have to create wonderful, wonderful places at the ground plane that support everything that's happening above it. So I think for us, that's just not even, it's, it's just a no-brainer. Otherwise, there's no, there'd be absolutely no value in investing because it would have no value uh, into the future. And for us as long-term investors, it's all about building and creating spaces for the future. Well, and the beautiful thing is that creating those communities and those places and spaces that people want to be at and want to stay at and want to return to um, presumably lowers your risk and makes better financial sense. So you're doing good things in order to, um, to support your ability to do more good things. It does. But at the end of the day, um, as you know, it's about being very robust in how you assess those risks and how you also assess the opportunity. For Australian Super, you know, this is where the, the partner is so critical. So understanding their capabilities, understanding their track record, being confident that we've got the right people on the ground who know the right questions, who understand what really is risk and opportunity associated with creating new 
places. It's a very different proposition to buy something that's already humming along. This goes back again to the to the criticality of of building the right people within Australian Super and also surrounding ourselves with the right partners that we really see ourselves being able to uh, confidently and appropriately assess those risks and make those decisions. But certainly with things like King's Cross, we've learned a huge amount and we're now leveraging a lot of that knowledge into our uh, into our new at-scale precincts moving forward. And we're certainly hoping to do uh, a number of these. Canada Water's the latest one. And as I said, we've got a great partner in British land and we feel really confident and comfortable that we've assessed what the risks might be for Canada Water, but obviously the opportunities and, and we feel that we'll be able to deliver on that and deliver something that's great, not just for our members, but for the community more broadly within London. We'll look for these all around the world, to be honest with you now. Uh, but the most, one of the most important things up front will be uh, who, who will be doing it with us. And, uh, and that's a, a big part of our risk assessment. And the impact of people and communities um, to, to housing, to the future of housing. And I know the pandemic is something in the past now. We're still dealing with it. It's still around. Um, but that has changed as well. I think the art of purposefully and intentionally creating, you know, communities with people, um, as potentially before the pandemic has been forgotten a little over the decades to a point where it's common for people not to know their neighbours. Um, how do you think the pandemic has changed how we view our communities and assess the strength of, of neighbourhoods and how is that having an impact in the, in the residential sector? Yeah, look, I think I think you've you've said it beautifully actually. I think that's right. I think the pandemic has really reminded us all about what's so important and the importance of of people around us, our families and our friends and the people we work with. But look, I think it's playing to the assemble proposition to be honest in terms of housing styles and housing formats and housing models. I think we're going to see more and more around the value proposition of residential being not just your house, not just the space that you live in and you occupy, but what else comes with it and how does that support that much, much stronger sense of, of community that I think we're all looking for. And I think one of the positive developments in the housing market over the last probably five years is that it's no longer a one-size-fits-all approach to providing housing for Australia, for, for anywhere around the world. Um, there are new little innovations and models and distortions in the housing market which are providing um, more choice and more different alternatives for people to live how they want to live, where they want to live. So I wonder if, yeah, as you say, there are some silver linings um, but it's interesting as well that there's no silver bullet no I think there's not I mean at the at the end of the day we the most basic is that we have a whole uh, group of Australians who fundamentally don't have the earning capacity to rent and or buy in a lot of Australia's bigger cities you know in an environment where housing prices you know, continue to either increase or have stabilised and they're still high. And we've got costs only continuing to increase and wage growth uh, minimal, if at all. It's hard to see how we're going to actually be able to house a lot of these people without major, you know, intervention. I think there's such a, such a supply shortage 
in Australia, it's just compounding all these other problems. If we didn't have supply shortage of housing stock, uh, it would have obviously an impact on house pricing and even if we weren't building anything, we'd be in a much better situation. But the reality is we've got a massive housing shortage and with immigration you know, starting to, to increase again, which is a great thing for Australia, then obviously those pressures only compound. I don't think it's going to be a, a quick or easy solution. And, you know, the, the government's recent accord announcement, which obviously we're supportive of, and we are working closely with the other superannuation funds, Australian Super Fund family, to, to work out how we can potentially participate in the accord, housing accord, in a meaningful way. It's great to see that the government has has put this initiative forward. There has to be some things, some some progress made on things like planning, for example, just to increase the speed of, of um, being able to open up land or get approvals through to actually enable the housing to be delivered. Um, you know, land supply, there, as to your point, there are lots of innovative ways that maybe we can look at, um, at the government participating with housing providers, whether it's super funds or others, which might involve, you know, long-term 100-year leases on land, for example. It's just an idea I'm just thinking about, which, you know, enables the cost perhaps of delivering that housing to be significantly reduced for the end renter or buyer. So I think we are in an in a time of, you know, complexity and it's really unknown with what's going on economically and politically around the world. And certainly I think it's also a great chance for innovation. Yeah, looking forward to seeing how we're going to solve this. <laughs> I left my chat with Fiona feeling so optimistic. For too long, the residential market has been profit driven based on short term gains, leaving the residents and our cities as an afterthought. This has left us with a legacy of small, questionable quality, unaffordable apartments that are not really future-proofed for the climate crisis we're facing. With larger players like Australian Super getting behind new alternative models such as Build to Rent to Own, we are finally seeing those forward-thinking innovations to developing quality housing with humanity. Apartments that are well-designed with people and the city in mind to present as a real alternative to the suburban quarter-acre block. Dwellings that are fundamentally sustainable, rather than just greenwashed, that also support social inclusion and improved housing access, backed by a private sector who see the value and long-term return opportunity. These are not new ideas, in fact they were fundamental to the flour mill of Summer Hill Precinct we designed for developer EG, completed in 2019 before the pandemic. The project master plan gave over 40% of the site to a network of quality public spaces, and the relifing of some beautiful heritage buildings. These community investments have been supported by a curated program of markets, playgroups, dog walkers and more, creating a strong sense of belonging and human connection. Homes at Flower Mill of Summer Hill are very much in high demand, with a community that thrived during the pandemic. An embedded future-proof design and quality outcome has made it a place people love to be. I think the future looks bright, and I remain optimistic. With the right conversations between both public and private across the industry, and designers of course, we can unlock innovation and creativity, and ultimately, quality housing for people in strong communities and cities. Thank you to Fiona and Australian Super for her time and enthusiasm, and thanks to you, our listeners. 
We know you're as passionate about the role design plays in creating a beautiful, resilient and inclusive future as we are. I'm Jeremy Schluter. You've been listening to an episode of Hassle Talks. This episode was produced by Prue Vincent.